The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I'm going to talk about, basically about dukkha or suffering, but as part of the three characteristics of life or the three characteristics, the three marks of existence. You may or may not have have heard of these. Uh, these three characteristics or marks are the profound insights of insight meditation. We have lots of insights, but these three are... Um, are the profound ones. They are part of wise understanding or wise view. And they are, they help us to see the true nature of life, the true nature of existing. And it is through seeing this that we can be set free. So the three are, the first is anicca, or impermanence. This is the recognition that nothing in this material world is permanent. Everything, everything that has the nature to be born has the nature to die. Everything that has the nature to arise has the nature to pass away and will. The second then is dukkha or suffering. And this is a huge topic. So when I first started to put together this talk, I was going to talk about all three characteristics, but I started with dukkha. And there was so much, I realized that I couldn't do all three in one talk. Dukkha is most frequently translated as suffering. Tom Jeff translates it as stress. And it manifests in many different ways, some of which are dissatisfaction, the ultimate dissatisfaction underlying life, discontent, um, fear, loneliness. It's the, the um, actual translation refers to the wheel of a wagon that's just a little bit off, just a little bit off center. So that's the, the sort of discontent, the dissatisfaction. And the opposite of dukkha is sukha, or happiness. Then the third characteristic is anatta, or anatta. This is the understanding that there is no permanent, fixed, solid self, otherwise known as selflessness, or non-self, or not-self, or emptiness. This is probably the characteristic that is the most difficult to comprehend, creates the most misunderstanding and confusion for people. 
but of course is central to our understanding. So we talk about these three characteristics as three different characteristics, but uh, we really see, especially the more we understand them, the more we delve into them, that they really are not so different. And they are very intertwined, interwoven. So the recognition of impermanence um, can be quite unsettling to people and can lead to a lot of suffering. Likewise, refusing to acknowledge impermanence, trying to hold on to anything, creates enormous suffering. The same with trying to hold on to who we think we are, to some identity or some um, description, some role that says who we are. Hanging on to that, grasping, creates enormous suffering. So really when we talk about one of these, the other two are present, are part of it. So the Dhamma, the Dhammapada speaks of these three, saying, All created things are impermanent. Seeing this with insight, one becomes disenchanted with suffering. This is the path to purity. All created things are suffering. Seeing this with insight, one becomes disenchanted with suffering. This is the path to purity. All things are not self. Seeing this with insight, one becomes disenchanted with suffering. This is the path to purity. So as I said, in this practice, we have many many insights, many psychological insights, and they're all very helpful. But these three characteristics are the profound, are the, the main uh, insights of this practice. And Jack Kornfield says, the realization of these characteristics can cut through all grasping and goals and guide us to wisdom. And the Buddhist dictionary says, it is the full comprehension of the three characteristics by direct meditative experience, which constitutes liberating insight. So seeing these characteristics fully, completely, can lead us to liberating insight. And the Buddha said that he taught the release of suffering, the end of suffering. That was his message in a nutshell. And he refused to get distracted by all kinds of other, um, maybe interesting, but irrelevant questions, irrelevant to his point. He saw and wanted to share with us that there is an end to suffering. 
that we don't have to continue this suffering. So as I said, suffering can come in many forms. It can be very gross. It can be quite subtle. And when it's subtle, often we miss it. We don't see it. So our mindfulness practice, our awareness, is what helps us to see the suffering, um, even when it's very, very subtle. Our, our suffering is what the Buddha called the second arrow. It's not the experience in life that makes us suffer, but it's our relationship to it. Or it's, it's what we tell ourselves about that experience that creates the suffering. And, of course, in our world, there is enormous suffering. Every one of us knows that. But within each of us, there is also suffering. And this is what the Buddha was concerned about. Because if we can free ourselves of suffering, then we can help free the world of suffering. But as long as we're suffering, uh, we can help, of course. But we perpetuate that suffering. So the Buddhist teaching, basic teaching, was the Four Noble Truths. And this, the Four Noble Truths are part of wise understanding or wise view. And we know the first noble truth is the reality of suffering, the acknowledgement that there is indeed suffering in this world. Just by the very nature of being alive, of being a human being in this um, condition, <laughs> means that we will experience suffering. There's no way to escape it. We all have suffering. The second noble truth from the Buddhist perspective was the cause of suffering. And he defined it as craving or grasping or clinging or thirst. Really what that means is any time we're not accepting things just as they are. We can be grasping on to something. We can be pushing something away, resisting. Either one is resisting how things are. And that creates our suffering. The third noble truth, though, is the recognition that there is an end to our suffering. That it is possible to be completely free of suffering. To completely release the suffering. And then the fourth noble truth is the path that he taught. The noble eightfold path. So, seeing our suffering clearly is our job as meditators. 
our meditation practice points us back to our own suffering, to see our suffering. Because seeing it clearly is the path to freedom from it. It's important that we see how our suffering drives us, drives our action. It does that because we are constantly trying to avoid suffering. None of us like suffering. We don't want to experience it. And so when we see our suffering clearly, we see how much of our time and effort is directed at avoiding that suffering. You know, we talk about pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. And so much of our time is going towards the pleasant and away from the unpleasant, pushing it away, denying it, pretending it isn't there. This is what we do with our suffering. If we're not being mindful, if we're not seeing it clearly, we tend to turn away from it, pretend it's not there. Deny it in some form. I remember one time many, many years ago saying to Gil, sort of offhandedly, um, I don't suffer. And he said, oh yeah? <laughs> and then he mentioned a way that he knew I suffered. And of course, he was right. I didn't want to see that, you know. My life was pretty pleasant most of the time. But I didn't want to see, oh yes, there was an area where I did suffer. So we all have that tendency to sort of pretend it's not there or turn away from it. But it is in turning towards our suffering, that is, seeing it very clearly, that we can find some freedom. There is no security in this world, in this ever-changing, impermanent world. The truth is that we cannot find any security. Uh, Many years ago, Alan Watts wrote a book, The Wisdom of Insecurity. I was just looking at it again today. And um, and that's what he recognizes, that there is no security, and therefore all our attempts at trying to control and create security are not only exhausting, they're futile. <laughs> and so opening an open heart, an open mind, Opening to that insecurity is the only way to find peace, to find contentment. So sometimes Buddhism gets a bad rap in that people say, oh, those Buddhists, all they talk about is suffering. Well, of course, we know that that's not true. But Buddhism does get known or get associated with suffering because we do talk about it. 
we do recognize it. And this can be different from many other traditions that don't so much want to recognize the truth, the reality of suffering. But the truth is that when we recognize, when we acknowledge our suffering, and then there are those people that come to Buddhism that are very relieved that we do acknowledge, that we do talk about suffering. When we do acknowledge our suffering and that of others, compassion arises. When we don't acknowledge the suffering, we can be numb, we can be turned off, and there isn't the opportunity then for compassion to arise. So it is very important that we acknowledge completely our suffering. So I'd like to encourage you all to reread um, the second chapter in Gill's book, The Issue at Hand. This is the chapter where he talks about tolerating our suffering and suggests that through Buddhist practice, we develop an intolerance for suffering. This is what motivated the Buddha to discover freedom because he refused to tolerate the suffering. So it can be helpful for us to notice where and how we might tolerate our suffering. You know, sort of like um, walking with a pebble in your shoe and knowing it's there but refusing to stop and shake it out and just continuing to go. I think... Many of us, if not all of us, have done that in some form. So he, he talks about um, a few ways that we do tend to tolerate our suffering and suggests that we examine that. Sometimes we have a fear of facing our suffering because if we face it, if we see it clearly, that might mean, that might have some implication for our life. Such as, say, in a relationship. Uh, we may refuse to see the suffering, to see it very clearly, because that might mean a change. This is often true in women in domestic violence, where, you know, sometimes people think they don't understand how a woman can stay in an abusive situation. But sometimes the alternative is very, very scary. And so women will, on some level, deny that the abuse is going on because facing it clearly might mean leaving the situation. And that might be terrifying. Sometimes it seems um, that, that we might stay in situations, we might um, tolerate our suffering because we don't see it clearly. 
we don't see the basic dissatisfaction or discontent that goes with our everyday lives. You know, just keeping up these bodies and our cars and our homes takes a lot of time and attention, doesn't it? Sometimes I recognize that when I spend my day making phone calls or making appointments or whatever to take care of this, to take care of that, just to keep things going. There's an inherent dissatisfaction in that. And it can be very valuable to see that. That is one of the subtle ways that we do experience dissatisfaction or suffering. Sometimes it may make sense to tolerate certain suffering for something that's better, such as, say, exercise. <laughs> we, we may not, um, we may consider it suffering to have to get up and go to the gym or, for me, go to the pool. Um, especially on these cold mornings when it would be so nice to stay home. But we know, and I remind myself frequently, when I'm in the pool swimming, I am never, ever sorry that I came. <laughs> and you may notice that too. If you do your exercise or whatever, you're never sorry that you did it. That can be a good thing to remember when it seems like suffering to have to get up and, and go do whatever you do. So it might be worth it. It might be worth it to suffer a bit for a good education that might help you um, in your career. But sometimes we may think that it's worth suffering something for a future goal and if we take a closer look, it might not be. Something like um, making a lot of money, denying ourselves or, or sacrificing or doing whatever now to make a lot of money in the future. If we really see clearly impermanence and we know that who knows what the future holds, we may recognize that it may not be worth it. Um, sometimes people stay in jobs that are very stressful, that create physical symptoms, high blood pressure, etc., uh, in order to maintain a certain standard of living or in order to amass a lot of money so that down the road they can retire. And, you know, sometimes it might make sense. Sometimes, though, it may not. And this is where it can be very important for us to face our suffering clearly. Really see what is happening to us by staying in this job, as an example. And then seeing, is it really worth it? Is it worth making myself sick to build up my retirement? Sometimes people stay in jobs to have health care. That might make sense. might be very important to do that. But 
it is so important for us to see it clearly so that we can make a wise decision. So it's important for us to see our relationship to suffering. What, how do we respond to suffering? Is there denial? Is there resistance? Do we try to push it away? Is there tolerance? Do we tolerate it? Do we perhaps enjoy it on some level? Are we, are we caught in it? Sometimes that happens. Sometimes we identify with our suffering. We can build up an identity as one who suffers and be caught in a victim stance. We might see or we might believe that our suffering is deserved, that we have done something to deserve this, or that this suffering is our punishment. And by doing that, then we may, we may not even believe we should be free. That may be a way of holding on to our suffering. But the reality is that suffering is natural. It's a part of this life. There's not something wrong with us if we have suffering in our lives. Everybody has some amount of suffering. Suffering is universal. And so if we have suffering in one way or another, that doesn't mean that we've done something wrong. Neither does it mean that the suffering is good or bad or right or wrong. It just is. And accepting this fact, uh, letting go of the of holding suffering as so personal, can be very freeing. There's a Sufi master, um, Pierre Villant Khan, that says, May I overcome any bitterness that may have arisen because I was not up to the magnitude of the pain that was entrusted to me. I really like that. The pain that was entrusted to me. We all are entrusted with a certain amount of pain. That takes away some of the of taking it so personally, doesn't it? There's just a certain amount of pain in the world. And this amount was entrusted to me. So may I overcome any any bitterness that arose because I was not up to the magnitude of the pain that was entrusted to me. So we use our mindfulness to see our suffering clearly and to see our relationship to it. We see the suffering in the present moment, which is where it is, where we experience it. It may have roots in the past or roots in the future, but the suffering actually takes place 
right here and now. And we can see how that we perpetuate our suffering. We may even um, increase it by continuing to tell ourselves the stories that we do, the interpretations um, of our or others' behaviors. So I'd like to offer a little exercise for just a moment. And you can either uh, keep your eyes open or close your eyes for this. It might be useful to close your eyes. And I'm going to ask you, what is a suffering that you tend to turn away from, that you tend to deny or not want to see? We all have these things in our lives. Can you bring to mind something that causes suffering that you have a tendency to turn away from? And just for this moment, just for right now, can you allow yourself to really experience the suffering, to turn and face it? Face whatever it is that creates suffering that you don't want to face. And just for this moment, face it. Experience it fully. Be aware of the suffering as much as possible. Sense it. Feel it. Experience it as completely as you can. And now, let it go. Drop it. Let it rise up into the air like a balloon. And see what remains. Is there relief? Maybe contentment, happiness, peace, more spaciousness, more lightness. And you can open your eyes. And does anyone want to say, what did you experience? Did you experience the release of the suffering? I waited for somebody else to talk first. I felt like there was this... Yeah. I felt like there was this bib in front of me. Of just 
quietness. Mm-hmm. I've mm-hmm. never had that before. And when you said it could just go up in the balloon, that was what was left. It's very nice. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Anybody else? Um, I this is a little bit of a tangent. Um, I I'd had a problem with the exercise and. So I have a question about what you've been talking about because I think I, I didn't know how to do the exercise properly. Um, when you talk about suffering, it is, it's hard for me to distinguish between suffering the first arrow and suffering the second arrow. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, it feels like with a lot of, of the talk tonight, a lot of my questions about Buddhism in general, I don't know how to distinguish between the two. Mm-hmm. So like if I'm thinking about suffering in the exercise, something that I'm suffering about, am I worrying about something bad that happened to me, you know, that I feel grief over or something like that, or then am I suffering because I'm worried about the, the fact that I'm grieving and I shouldn't be grieving? <laughs> can be either or both. <laughs> I think a, a, a simple way to understand the difference, the first arrow and the second arrow, um, two things. One, you know, we often say pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. So that's one way to see it. Um, You know, in life, there will be loss. There will be uh, pain. If we break a leg, there's going to be pain. There's no getting around that. And the Buddha didn't try to suggest that we could break a leg and not feel pain. But the other thing is, it's our relationship to breaking that leg. It's our relationship to the pain. So if we tell ourselves, this is terrible, this shouldn't have happened, um, it was so-and-so's fault or whatever, um, now I'm going to, you know, I can't do whatever. I can't dance (laughs) like Steve Wozniak. (laughs) Or, Or whatever I can't do because I have this broken leg. We create suffering if we just have the broken leg we go get it set if the pain is bad enough we might take something for it and that's it there's no story there's no um, there's no suffering around it it's just an incident just happened does that help that that (laughs) helps but it leads to my my follow-up question which is I, i kind of wonder is are they, are they both the same word in Pali, the two different kinds of suffering? and Or should we be using two different words to distinguish between them? And what I mean by that is if we say life is suffering, but then there's a release from suffering, you can't at the same time say, well, there's no release from pain and, and, and loss and hunger and these things. Those things all happen. And right. The is not saying you can get away from those. Right. But he's saying... You can get away from the second arrow kind of suffering. Right. You don't have to suffer about them. Right. They become just events. I had a very clear example of that almost a year ago when my dog died. And um, there was great sadness. Great sadness. But I was aware there was no suffering. There was no story that it shouldn't have happened or anything about it. It was just sadness. And I, I have had friends actually misunderstand 
when I talk about the possibility of having a loss. Um, you know, there are losses, loss of a spouse or loss of a child, enormous um, pain at that. And there's sort of an understanding or a belief in our culture that the more we suffer, the more we must have loved <laughs> that person or that whatever. But we recognize in Buddhist practice that it's not true. It's not true. In fact, the love can be very, very deep when there's not that clinging, there's not that attachment. And so, yes, there's sadness. Sadness is normal. But the suffering is not there. And that, that suffering, the story we tell ourselves about any incident, creates the suffering. And that's what we can be free of. Is that, yeah, that, does that answer it? Thanks. Anything else? I have um, something going on in my life where I reject the suffering. I have a friend who has thyroid cancer. And there was a long history of inappropriate medical advice. And so she's very, very angry. Mm-hmm. And she rants. And so she's doing all the things she needs to prepare for surgery and take care of the business. And she... When I talk to her, she's rehashing things from the deep, dark past. And she's in great pain, but but she's got this loop going. And that I've noticed that some I'm frequently resisting her loop, and I'm not present for her loop, and I'm not present for her pain. And there's this, and it causes me more suffering to buffer myself mm. against the trauma she's going through right now than to to actually sit with it. So that's very, very important. <laughs> um, that it is our buffering. It is our attempt not to suffer. To whatever way, be not present for it, turn away from it, deny it, that creates the suffering not the event itself. So the point of this little exercise was to see how when we face our suffering clearly, directly, when we don't buffer, we don't turn away from it, we don't deny it, but really see it, facing the tiger, we we say, we can become free of it. If when you let that suffering go, you experience that moment of freedom, that moment of peace or contentment, then you had a brief experience of what it can be like to let go of the suffering. To see it clearly, it was preceded by seeing it clearly, really experiencing it fully. It's it's through the suffering that we become free. Not around it, not over it, not under it, not turning away from it, but through it. 
And that's, that's what's so important for us to see, that the freedom is through it. And many of us, you know, chuckle at ourselves, no matter how many times we experience that, we know that, there can still be a tendency at times to turn away from it. But when we remember, when we recognize, no, that creates the suffering, the resistance creates the suffering, and we turn and face it directly, that's what can lead to the freedom. So just a couple more things. Seeing our suffering clearly is so important, but it is also important that we bring compassion to the suffering, that we bring a tender heart. If we just see the suffering without that compassion, without that tenderness, it can be cold and it may not lead to freedom. So we must bring an open heart, uh, a tenderness, or learn, learn to meet our suffering with great compassion. Knowing that we're not alone, that everyone experiences some amount of suffering in their life. And if they were telling us their experience of suffering, probably we would meet it with an open heart. We would feel that compassion for them. So it can be, it can be very difficult. It can take much courage for us to meet our suffering directly. And so bringing that tender heart, that compassion, is so important. That helps us to, to be with it completely and to go through it. So Jack Cornfield talks about ending the struggle, stopping the war. In, in his book, A Path with Heart, he actually has a chapter called Stopping the War. And he quotes his teacher, Ajahn Chah, who says, We human beings are constantly in combat, at war to escape the fact of being so limited, limited by so many circumstances we cannot control. But instead of escaping, we continue to create suffering waging war with good, waging war with evil, waging war with what is too small, waging war with what is too big, waging war with what is too short or too long or right or wrong, courageously carrying on the battle. So it's important for us to let go of the struggle. To another way of saying it, see things and accept things just as they are, neither grasping on nor pushing away. And when we do this, when we can come to that 
acceptance, then there isn't suffering. There isn't the struggle. There is just life as it is. So stopping the war, stopping the struggle, seeing the suffering clearly, seeing the roots, how we are creating the suffering, and letting go. This is our path to the freedom from suffering. Life is full of the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows. I'll end with a short reading from Jack. With greatness of heart, We can sustain a presence in the midst of life's suffering, in the midst of life's fleeting impermanence. We can open to the world its 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. Wise understanding sees that suffering is inevitable, that all things that are born die. Wise understanding sees and accepts life as a whole. With wise understanding, we allow ourselves to contain all things, both dark and light, and we come to a sense of peace. This is not the peace of denial or running away, but the peace we find in the heart that has rejected nothing, that touches all things with compassion. So we have a few minutes. Are there more comments, questions? It seems to me that accepting something doesn't mean you accept to leave it be. That you can believe that something's wrong and try to act or do something to correct it, but that if you're not attached too much to that, um, it doesn't have to lead to suffering. Right. Yes, right. Acceptance does not mean condoning. Um, Acceptance is just, that's how it is. And when we act out of that space of acceptance, then we're not resisting, so we're not creating more suffering. It's, It's when we are in resistance to whatever is that we do create the suffering. So, yes, you're right. Acceptance sometimes is hard to understand. And, and I find even in my own life, sometimes I question, um, is this acceptance or um, or how can I accept without resisting? <laughs> I was just thinking about Maureen's story and how your friend goes over and over about the doctor that didn't listen. 
Well, where is your place in that? I'm trying to think how you do that. You just you just have to run it out. Just keep listening and listening until it's over. And you have to watch how you come up and say, I don't want to hear this anymore. I, mean, yeah. I, I think her example points two different kinds of suffering. One, the friend is suffering, you know, mm-hmm. by this loop she's in. She's creating her own suffering. Not to deny that what happened was not good, but by running, by playing it over and over and over again, she's creating her own suffering. But I think her, Maureen's point was her suffering. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm thinking about. That's so hard. I have a friend who's a hypochondriac kind of, I think. It goes on, it's been going on for years. And I have a hard time just, you know, sometimes I can listen and sometimes, you know, I just don't want to. And so then I suffer when I don't want to hear it anymore. All the different things that are wrong. So, um, well, and and situations like that can be tricky because sometimes it's not helpful to allow somebody to go on and on. Um, Maureen said, and I was going to question her, but that wasn't her point. <laughs> you said you weren't present to her. Um, and I was going to ask, is that really true? You may be present and you may have had enough. You may get the sense that this is not helpful. This is just digging a rut. It's time to stop. So it is possible to be very present to someone, to be very present to whatever they are doing, but discern <laughs> uh, in your wisdom that it's not good to go on and on and on. Somebody suggested to me the other day that that her love was for someone was not unconditional because in a situation like that she had put a stop to it. And I pointed out that I had never heard that her love was not unconditional or that her love um, was in any way ending by her putting that stop, but that that stop was very important in the situation that was going on, that was skillful to say, no, that cannot go on. And that that didn't mean that her love wasn't still there. Oh, I could relate to sometimes being in a position, you know, where there's someone like in your family or something and who, you know, they'll just want to keep on having something that they keep seeing in a real glum way or they're, you know, and then they want to keep want you to be this endless captive audience to hear. And I would be in that same position, sometimes with my brother years ago, where I would just, after a while, I would just have to figure out, how the heck can I? quit having to listen to this and I'd have to figure out ways to give myself a break and and I think that was for the better for him too like you said mm-hmm. to n- realize when you need to draw the line for both people sometimes in a situation like that it might be useful to point out the suffering that is happening yeah just not in a uh, judging way but just in acknowledging yeah that's a good how point. much suffering is going on Right. Instead of yeah, it's not 
instead of like blaming them, but just say, pointing out that it's more suffering on both I can sides. see that you are really suffering with this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that can help people shift a focus yeah, from whatever they've been ruminating about to the actual experience of suffering, which yeah. can be much more helpful. Very much, <laughs> much so. more yeah, useful. Good point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I urge you to pay attention to suffering in your life, to just notice. Notice where there is suffering. Without necessarily doing anything to change it. Sometimes you see something clearly, you know, you can change it immediately. But often not. But the first step is to see, to recognize the suffering. And and recognize your tendency, perhaps, or the places where you want to turn away from it. You want to resist it, deny it, or not actually feel it. And just notice. Just, just see it. It's very important to see the pervasiveness of suffering and our attempts to get away from it. Okay, so let's end with just a minute of sitting. Just, you know, sit as you are. So may we all be liberated from our suffering. (laughs) Thank you.